I'm uh, Lauren Fiorelli, and I'm here uh, with Kathy Lou Mona Moser. Um, and we're recording today for Intersection Prospect Heights uh, and Our Streets, Our Stories for, at the Brooklyn Public Library. Um, so if you want to tell me uh, how long um, you've lived or worked in Prospect Heights. Um. Well, uh, I moved to New York City from um, Emmaus in Kutztown, Pennsylvania, where I went to college in 1979 and we were up in a crazy building that's no longer there in Washington Heights and my friend Scott Hunt and my roommate who encouraged me to come to New York said Mona my nickname uh, I met somebody at film school who said uh, there's an apartment in Brooklyn I had no idea Brooklyn I, I just knew Manhattan where my older sisters lived in Staten Island another sister mm -hmm. so I just said okay so in 1981 we moved to 213 Prospect Place. Uh, I don't think I was 30, and we were kind of wild kids. And our landlord and his wife, Jim and Mary Grossman, and their first daughter, Julia, uh, had an apartment, and there was another apartment upstairs, Ivy Edgecombe. I don't know if she's around anymore. And we lived there, and um, I guess you'd say we were pioneers. Now you'd say it was the beginning of gentrification, but not for us. It was a wonderful block between Underhill, still is, between Underhill and Vanderbilt. And um, I was very Manhattan-centric, but I used to go into the slope to drink. You know, it's like slumming it back then, right? You'd slum it and slope. Um, our neighbors were uh, Merle and Crystal... Uh, Louison, and they were Trinidadian, and uh, and on the other side were Jim and Ann McNeely, and they were the like fourth generation Irish Americans, whose great auntie they had lived in the same house together, um, to the point where we had weeds in the backyard, and I used to be an avid gardener, and I used to sweep and take care of their yard. And I asked Jim, where did certain weeds come from? What, what are they? And he would tell stories like how he used to shovel up the horse manure from the streets, and his aunt, great aunt had a garden, and he put it in the garden. And they actually sent the plants to the agriculture department and found out it was from the feed from the horses <laughs> and they were it was indigenous to Japan. So when I was very young, there were it was just a cross section of the Irish, African American, Caribbean American, and certain I wouldn't call them hippie, but people who were from the outside who bought the brownstones. I think Martha the Grams are still there. They purchased very early. We knew where the trees came from. We have flowering trees, which you're not supposed to plant in front of a building and things like that. So um, I remember we had a German-American family um, and the youngest daughter ended up marrying into a, a former uh, Buddhist monk. I mean, we were really, we had a, a couple next door who were the Moonies, uh, who were, I remember going in there, a neighbor, they had a child. She was Dutch and he was Japanese. This was later, when I moved back in 91. And I asked them if the photograph on their television was their parents, and it was Reverend Moon and his wife. And um, 
Reverend Moon ended up staying at the Phoenix House on our block. He was incarcerated there. So the other part of that story is that we have, a, and still do, we had a Phoenix House, um, which ended up being like one of the safest spots on the block. And I think the community, uh, the Block Association meets there now. So I moved back to the city in 85, and I lived various places, Chelsea, the West Village, East Village, a little bit in Long Island, and I was traveling all over Asia. And I met my former ex-hero, uh, Iguchi, who was a painter, and we moved in and took care of the Grossman's building. They moved to California. And by then, they had their second daughter, Alexis. So I was the super, kind of super, we had a duplex. Hero had his art studio, we had a basement. And I was told every so often, have a pitcher of lemonade and sit out on the stoop and say hello to your neighbors. And I didn't quite do that, but when you have to rake a yard and sweep the leaves and tidy up, you do. And we adopted a few dogs through the years. So that's how you'd meet everyone, walking the dogs, cleaning the yard. Um, there is an article about Prospect Heights, which I have in here. And um, Mr. McNeely, uh, I don't know, she, Anne had a stroke and he passed away a few years ago. I don't know if George, the cousins, I still have their number. There are a few people who are elderly that might still be around. Um, I remember the, uh, the Northy sisters. Uh, they were West Indian. There were four of them. And I think the last one passed away. And as I, this is just between Carlton and Vanderbilt. My roommate now is Susan McHenry, and she purchased her co-op in 1991. She's African-American, originally from, um, from Louisville, and her mom had her purchase this co-op, and when my building was sold, I, had, uh, I didn't quite know it yet. I wasn't well, and I had a varied cancer, and I was very lucky that I had to go through the co-op board, and I live there now, so I'm still right here down the street on St. John's in Prospect Heights. Um, I think a lot of people are busy this time of day and you can't interview, I hope, some other time because there are a lot of people who have stories to tell. Uh, my, my next door neighbor, Merle Louison, she's Merle Louison and her daughter's Chris, Crystal Forgini. Crystal might come. Crystal started going to college. She was supported by the neighborhood She's a pediatrician now, and they're, they're up in the Bronx. Their building was sold. And her mother won't come back to the neighborhood for some reason. But I really believe if you could speak to them. Her mom was like the mayor of the block. She knew who had babies, who did what. She'd tell stories about how the mailman used to, you know, this old mailman with the pith helmet. He was a wealthy guy, but how he would jump from windowsill to windowsill on the brownstone. Um, Anyway, I don't know how much more you want me to... No, um, if you have their information, I'd be happy, we'd be happy to see if we can yeah. get in touch with them as well. Um, but if you were to take us on a, a tour of Prospect Heights, uh, could you name like one or two places where you might, where you might take us? And what I'd take you to, be? although it might be funny, I'd take you to the, the Underhill Playground. Uh, on, it's between uh, Park and Prospect Place, for sure because I'm not sure technically if that's Prospect Heights. I think it is, but it's a good cross-section of the neighborhood. Um, let's see, boy. 
the gentrification of you know the stadium it's put a dent in it there are I, I feel it takes a good five years to feel like you're a neighbor when people move into brownstones and buy brownstones etc they're not really neighborly it takes a long time till it's not like the suburbs or hi we're bringing you cookies so that I think the Underhill playground because I was just there yesterday taking some photos and I don't have children so I didn't want to look you know funny but it really is still a meeting place of, of cultures and families. Um, I would go to some of the churches in the neighborhood. There's a, there's a church on Vanderbilt and um, St. Mark's, I can't think of the name. And they still, I think, do a homeless shelter, feeding the homeless. They're, you don't even notice it's there, but it's still there. There's a Haitian, church that looks like a brownstone right off of uh, Vanderbilt and uh, on Prospect Place. There's the Daria church. Again, that's on the other side of, of Underhill. But I would go to some of the churches because you'll still find the, the mix of people that were in the neighborhood until very recently. On the other hand, I, I ate at uh, Amarina's and I noticed we have a lot of East Asian people that are moving into the neighborhood. So that's what I would do. We don't have, oh, I'm in the community gardens. How could you forget? We, I mean, a lot of these blocks were, there were just shells of buildings. And there's the St. Mark's uh, Prospect Heights Garden. I never get it right. And that's between Underhill and Carlton and the Prospect Heights Community Garden. That's another place where there's a woman, Patty, I can't think of her last name. She used to be kind of a famous writer in Wall Street Journal or something. And she devotes a lot of her time. She reads all the papers and she's still at the, the St. Mark's uh, Prospect Heights Garden. So those are places. They're not, you know, Yahoo places, but that's where you'll see a lot of the people from the neighborhood. Is there any place that has like um, more personal significance to you? Like maybe a place that you remember going to or um, frequented? When I was home, I was home. <laughs> I mean, other than coming here to the park or, I mean, Prospect Heights. Well, now the Brooklyn Brainery, I, the Brooklyn Brainery is like a cool new thing that's around that I think is, is pretty interesting. Um, boy. And I, I just think of, oh, there's another store. It used to, his, his, it was Chris Creations. Chris is still around. He has a secondhand shop on, that's now Washington and um, Prospect Place. I'm thinking of people. It's more people than places, if you can understand that. Because I was Manhattan-centric, and, uh, and now I don't think of Prospect Heights still as like a cool place to do stuff. I think of it as a meeting of a lot of people that go a lot of places to work and are self-employed and are kind of now they're you know have their own family there are new, a lot of new families again oh I forgot the Spellmans you want to get the Spellmans they're like they're four generations maybe five now uh, they, they came up the migration the black migration um, he was a 69 bus driver and they had a soul food store so it's mostly the people 
Is there any then like neighborly neighbor interaction or specific memory you have of a of of a neighbor that you want to share or anything else? Well, I had my fiftieth birthday in two thousand three, and that was pretty amazing. About ninety people came between my church and my neighborhood and friends from college and. And we, oh, we took, we knocked, we take, took, because of all the nories, oh, there was a tornado in my backyard in 2010. That was quite memorable, oh, closing the window and it hit down and split a tree. So we had stories like that. Um, anyone who's memorable, well, I'd have to say Merle, she's still alive. Merle Louison. I'm sorry, Mer Merle Forgini, sorry, not Louison. That was her husband's name. And, um, well, the Grossmans, even though they didn't live there, they owned my home. And um, she was from New York and he was from Boston. And uh, Anne and Jim, uh, the other neighbors. And Kitty uh, Donega, she lives in the apartment across the street. I don't know how long she's been there. And um, there's some people, Miss Fanny, I don't know their names. Some people, I don't know their real names. but. The older African Americans you called Miss, so it was Miss Fanny. Um, uh, some people passed away in their store. I just was dog sitting in a home I hadn't been in for since the early '90s. A woman passed away. That was my friend, you know. So there's, gee. Anne so, and Jim McNeely, the McNeelys. So they never. People thought they were married. They just always were. They were brother and sister, and they always lived there. And he always had the, until he was older, he always had the radio on for the fire department and the police department. So he'd be outside standing around looking for, <laughs> you know, those those people from the old days. Are there any other memories that you'd like to share with us of the neighborhood? Well, Don and Catherine, we had a block. We had a block party. I for, yeah, this had to be early '90s, and oh, I, it was a, a real raucous station. W and we, so Don invited, oh, what was the radio? WBLS, and they were playing heavy. And kids came from Bedstuy all over. Nothing bad, but we weren't allowed to do that. We had a great time. We used to have block parties that were were fun. What kind of things would you do at the party? Just it's happened? just dancing and kids and closing your street. It wasn't anything fancy. Um, uh, I remember the kids playing double dutch and drawing chalk things in the street and playing games on the on the street. Um, gee, just everyday stuff that you don't quite see anymore. The traffic's too dangerous. It's one point seven families, so. It's just, you're not out on the street like you were back. People sat on their stoop, and people still do, but uh, I, and now I live in a building, so it's a little different experience. I, uh, the tornado, the, gee. Mostly things about, you know, people dying, you know, like stuff that happened. But not bad things. Uh, stoop sales. You know, I had a lot of stoop sales. Um, so, I don't know. It's just the everyday living. Do you want to talk at all about the difference between living in, in Brownstone and the building that you live in now? Or? Oh, well, sure. Uh, other than when I first... Well, I lived 
first up at 200 in Dykeman, and that building was on rent strike, and I moved there in 79, and I had no idea about real estate in New York and about people unifying and the, what goes on. And uh, the people of the highest authority sending letters to the strike organizers telling them to cease and desist and finding out that the owners were slumlords. So this was my introduction to living in New York and how proud the owners were. They found stuff in the basement about he was a slumlord and owned building in the East uh, Harlem. So that was my introduction. So when I moved to Brooklyn, and I remember my roommate had his rent and escrow, that first building, um, they won the case and it's no longer there. So my second experience was living in a brownstone. Fourth floor walk up. <laughs> no, third, I was on the third floor. Then we moved to the fourth floor. I lived in the entire house between being there the first time and the second time. So uh, you never thought about going up all those steps or anything. You just, you know, you did it. And I lived in Chelsea in a co-op. I lived in a few sublets. I lived in my ex's artist loft in the East Village, fifth floor walk-up with a bathtub. Well, we were looking for a new place, bathtub in the hallway. So I had a little of the West Village in an elegant building and then waiting out the <clears throat> apartment in the East Village and and uh, be, right before it changed. Um, and then coming back in 91, the crack epidemic, um, your people would steal your cobblestones. We'd hold up, open the fence and they were going for six bucks a pop, stealing fences. You couldn't even leave a pack of matches in the car because your window could get popped. I remember that. Um, and I'd think anyone who would park their car, you couldn't even leave a t-shirt in the car. Um, this is when you moved back. When I moved back, place. the crack vials. But it was changing. There had been a dead man two doors down on the neighbor's doorsteps right before I moved back. I know the Grossman's little dog stopped a robber from coming through the, the, the gate in the fence. That's why there's all those curvy things. We had block meetings where we learned how to walk. I was mugged in 81, and I wasn't scared. And I had to go through uh, the old police way, lady, everybody looks alike, you know, like, and look at the kids on, at Med Food. They had them all up on, this was when I first moved there in the 80s. So I remember that, but we weren't, and I remember the kids making fun of my roommate, Scott, who was very tall, and he had like a, an 80s, you know, those buzzed off hair, and he wore gigantic shoes, and they'd go, yo, honky Frankenstein. And it was funny, you know, it wasn't like bad. And um, so back, moving back in 91, 92, there was a crime scene, but the neighbors were the neighbors. And... Um, Offenses would be stolen, and then they'd find them over at the fence place on Fourth Avenue. You know, like you knew your neighborhood. You really knew. We were given whistles to put on our keychains. Oh, just silly stuff. Recycling, learning how to recycle. We used to have a man called the Angry Can Man. Seeing things like this, he and people knew his grandma, and he had a lot of problems. And he used to live. There was a big field over on on Bergen it was a, there are, there's houses now smaller housing but it was this big empty field and in the spring their wildflowers were amazing and this man lived there and eventually he rehabilitated and he's still around I don't know his name 
and he has a family now. So recycling and garbage and, and uh, street stuff, uh, getting things repaired, you know, the sewer is getting old and sewage pipes backing up and having, you know, you know little disasters, you know. Um, get, getting things repaired is always a big deal. Going up on the roof, I used to, we had a ladder. Oh, I don't think I do it now. We had like a makeshift wooden ladder and when direct TV, we'd go up on the roof or we'd go up, we, you had to climb up the ladder through the skylight and kind of hoist yourself up. Once you're up there, it was gorgeous. And the kids used to set off firecrackers and frighten us, you know, they would go over the roof. So being up on the roof, uh, was another thing I had a, as a super and my and hero my ex was a away a lot he was a decorative painter and he used to travel so I took care of a lot of stuff myself um, it was a very unique experience so you were the official super for a building for yeah I was a you'd call it a caretaker because I still paid rent we had a duplex and um, hero had the parlor floor we in the front when he left. I stayed and I had grad students come in and it was really funny. One woman, Patty, she's a photographer now, kind of a well, she came back for grad school and there were a couple of people who were uh, architects who were coming to school. So I rented out the parlor room when Hero left for a couple of years and then I moved upstairs. Well, the one daughter came to New York and she rented the third floor as an adult after college when she was between grad school and everything. And then the second daughter, oh God, <laughs> I forgot this. So I was told I didn't need to be the super anymore. And the second daughter ended up downstairs and she and all her girlfriends from Bates College moved in. I was ready to kill. And lo and behold, I loved those young women. They were really cool. And one worked for, you know, was doing an internship for WNYC and Another one, they were all doing really new, interesting things. Uh, Alexis worked for Crop to Cup. You know, after they all left, they moved on to really interesting stuff. So I wouldn't have traded that for anything. Why were you wary of them? Well, the, the noise, <laughs> you know, the screaming and the, the noise. And, and after taking care so carefully for so long, and the place was kind of like, you know, and I had not, I couldn't be a mother hen anymore. And I even called their mother and Cal. I'm like, I can't take the noise. It's terrible. Well, they kind of pushed me to, um, to a new level. Oh, and I, I freaked them out because I was so angry when Hillary, when Hillary wasn't uh, nominated and Obama was, I went, I'm voting for McCain. And they were all, I remember we were all watching TV together and they were like, what? I was so mad about Hillary, you know, so, um, and they all, they invited me to stuff, not always, and um, they're amazing young women, and they're all doing neat stuff today, so, so many. <sighs> yeah, do you feel, um, living in that house with so many different people uh, coming through, did, did they all sort of become family in different ways, or like, yes. what were your different relationships? I had one young man who, who I rented the parlor floor out, who, I can understand now he was one of seven or eight brothers mostly. He was not the friendliest dude, but when he moved out and got his own apartment, he came back to clean up and I he, I just told him it's all right, he apologized. 
So there w and there was another Polish young man who was an architect who was going to move in, and I showed him all around. He was working for a neighbor, and um, he never really moved in. He ended up going, falling in love or something, and we still keep in contact. He just wrote, I remember when you took me to the park and showed me jazz. And so, it, so living in a building today, it's much, well, first of all, when you live in a co-op and you don't own it, you're kind of a non-entity. So even though I did it legally in the board, so, and plus being ill and nobody seeing me very much for a year and a half, it was an elevator building, I was very lucky. And my roommate Susan, she goes to St. John's Church down in the slope, and I met her there doing volunteer work. Um, and so I was very grateful. We reorganized, I, I'm an organizer, so I organized her apartment because she was a writer and an editor and there was stuff all over. So I really lucked out. Now people are getting to know me and saying hello. And um, there are a lot of kids and they're kind of polite and they hold the door open for you and say hello. And we live on a very broad street. So when the weather's great, people are out. It's just different. The block is pretty much co-ops. And there is an African-American community more than a Caribbean community, but you just don't interact because they're buildings. They're not stoops and things. Uh, so it's just a new experience. Um, people are, because you're in a co-op, you see people hurrying to work, hurrying here, hurrying there, hurrying all over, and nobody's sweeping anything. You know. So you don't see the street actions. It takes a lot longer. But now people say hello, and you know I meet their dogs or their kids, or and I we get the mail for people sometimes, stuff like that. It just takes a while. Yeah. But I was at a commish for a while, so I now dog sit, and even babysit a couple that I they used to live in what was we called the pink house. It's no longer painted pink, but it was painted pink. And uh, there was a cab driver who lived in there who I, some of these homes were so rustic. That's another thing, this cab driver, the pink house, we went in and it was like you were in a farmhouse in the middle of nowhere. It was like wood and with the beams. And then the German, the, the place that I, I don't want to name all the addresses, but the building I was in now, it's all modernized. And when I went in, they used to have, it was German, it was like a little, they had antiques everywhere, and it was this little hobbit, and a lot of these buildings uh, have opened up. There was a Victorian, a couple, an Australian couple, he passed away, she remarried, and she's like a Wall Street person, And but they did their home, Hero helped, he did the gold leafing, they restored their home to all the Victorian colors, it was like green, and they were, it was, that was really in, because I sold home furnishings like that for a while. And then they left, and we were all like, somebody's going to paint it all white. And they did. They just painted the inside of the house all white. So um, that's, those are the things I remember. If you want to rein me in, please do. <laughs> yeah, we are getting to the end of our time. But so if you have any last thoughts for me about, about the neighborhood or, or what you would like to see happen in the neighborhood. Maybe. Well, gentrification, right, wrong, or indifferent, this is what is happening. And a lot of times, because I was a political science major, I've always known who my local politicians were. And of course, they lived in my block. Chris Owens, Major Owens' home, Mitty Owens. 
the, the people who lived there were involved in their schools and their politicians, and we, know, we knew and we live around our own local politicians. And when moving into New York, you feel anonymous, especially as a young person, um, and even young families. It's so insular, and I really recommend gentrification or not, know your neighbors. Know, try to get to know your neighbors, know what district you're in, find out where to vote. Um, it's hard because we're used to tribal living when we're young. And even when we're old, you know, we're looking for our pals. And, you know, it's one block in a city like this is like a town in most other places. So if we see it that way, you know, pick up that piece of trash, pick up the flyers, call on a piece of garbage. I, I just heard a woman on the bus talking to someone about a housing project she lived in, about how it was in the 60s and the 70s and, and how she's not leaving and how everybody was leaving New York thinking that going to South Carolina, you know, there's problems everywhere. Um, and so we're not the other, we're each other's neighbors. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mona. I really appreciate you talking with me today. You're welcome.